listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. are 61, the nays are 36, uh, the bill, as amended, has passed. Mr. President, what a great day. What a great day. That's the announcement of the U.S. Senate passing Tuesday, the same-sex marriage bill called the Respect for Marriage Act. A lot of claims have been made about this bill. It still has a ways to go. Will it really protect religious liberty. Somehow, somehow the Senate leadership managed to convince a dozen Republicans to vote for this bill, despite warnings from their own side and outside that those protections were very, very weak. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Wednesday afternoon, November the 30th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be talking with Roger Severino of the Ethics and Public Policy Center about this U.S. Senate same-sex marriage bill Terry Mattingly will be alongside to discuss media coverage of the hospice industry. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on the wedding at Canaan with Pastor Tom Baker. And Pastor David Peterson joins us finally to talk about listening to a sermon. Roger Severino is Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He formerly served as Director of the Office for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And he's a graduate of Harvard Law School. Roger, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Why would any reasonable legislator oppose religious freedom amendments to this bill? Only if they are incredibly naive or have been bamboozled. And I'm not going to question the motives if there's something more nefarious than that, but that's bad enough, right? The people have been warned, and there were 12 Republicans who defected on this bill, of the grave religious liberty impacts of elevating same-sex marriage on the same plane as interracial marriage and saying if you disagree with that, then you're equivalent to bigots because that's the implied national policy that is set up by this bill passing. Those 12 members were saying that there was enough religious liberty protections, but those were ultimately empty gestures. We know where this is going. And just think of the entire background. Is there any need to get a statute for same-sex marriage after the Obergefell decision? No. None of the benefits, none of the protections that same-sex couples have are in any appreciable threat. This was a made-up, manufactured issue that would empower people to sue people of faith who disagree. It's winner-take-all when we were told it was all about live and let live and the truth has come out. How does the bill equate same-sex marriage with interracial marriage, and why is this so wrong? Well, very explicitly. It says that same-sex marriage has to be recognized by people acting under color of state law and as well as recognizing interracial marriage. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not heard the interracial marriage issue be a real issue legally for decades, right? Because it isn't. It's not at risk. It's not a threat. The only reason they're putting it up is to equate it with people who disagree with same-sex marriage. It's pure, blunt, and I think pretty despicable politics to try to paint people of faith with the bigot label. And if they do that, 
then the IRS is empowered to take away the tax-exempt status of religious organizations that disagree. And we saw that happen after the 64 Civil Rights Act. It took six years for the IRS to go after religious institutions on the question of race. And there was no First Amendment defense there. Now, race is different than same-sex marriage. That's the point. Race has a horrible, tragic history, and it demeans a person's human identity that way. Same-sex marriage is radically different. And the people who voted for this bill apparently didn't realize just what they were unleashing, or they did realize it and did it anyway for political purposes, and it's more likely the latter. The advocates of the bill claim that the bill preserves the application of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and that this concession and existing court precedents are enough to address any potential harm to religious liberty. What do you say? False. Now, it's true that they don't touch the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Right. And but that background law is not enough. We've seen adoption agencies be driven out of state after state because of their views that marriage is one man, one woman. And that's the best way for children to be raised. That used to be the view, by the way, of President Obama and President Biden not too long ago and even Hillary Clinton, like about a decade ago. But for political purposes, they've changed their views. Now, religious institutions should not be forced to be driven out of the public square for not changing their views on this question. And state laws have gone after religious organizations. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act does not protect against these state laws. And this bill doesn't either. If they wanted to actually protect religious freedom, they would have adopted the Lee Amendment, which would have addressed tax exempt status, licensing for adoption agencies and religious schools, and a myriad of other issues that are unleashed when the same-sex marriage question is being used against people of faith. We saw it with bakers. We saw it with photographers and all these litigations that is going up to the Supreme Court, this bill does nothing to address those questions. It's a complete head fake on religious liberty. Explain some of this because the advocates also claim that the law would apply to private parties only when acting under color of state law, you used that phrase before, and that religious organizations would be deemed government actors is small. What does it mean to act under the color of state law and is that claim true? Yes, that risk is limited, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Adoption agencies, and we've seen it happen, they've been accused of being too closely tied into a government function, which is you license adoption agencies, and the government gives that ability and takes it away and vets the organization. So there's this movement of trying to exclude people of faith and organizations of faith from partnering with government, and that's discriminatory. That is discriminatory. We know that people can get all services from the government itself or from all sorts of private alternatives. Why must you force every religious group to conform to one ideological viewpoint? If you work in the prison context or if you work in the military, if you work in care of, you saw this unaccompanied minors who crossed the border illegally, and there were private religious entities that helped take care of them with some partnership with the federal government. And those sorts of institutions that could be swept in as saying, well, you're working with the government as an extension of it, and therefore we're going to force you to change your views or you're kicked out of the business. And that's the risk. But whatever happens, this bill empowers lawsuits on all those questions. It specifically says private parties and activist groups, you can now sue. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to sue, right? If you give somebody this power, how can we not expect them to use it? So it provides no protections for religious organizations that decline to participate in same-sex marriage celebrations? It does for same-sex marriage celebrations, which is a different question. 
right? We're talking about color state law and participation with government. Same-sex marriage, solemnization, it does say that you won't be forced to participate in one as a religious, explicitly religious institution. But guess what? We already knew that. If the First Amendment means anything at all, is that the government, state or local, can't force a rabbi, a priest, an imam, or a pastor to celebrate a same-sex marriage in their church or in this religious institution by solemnizing it, right? This is such a red herring. So, yes, they made a gesture towards a risk that isn't really there. The First Amendment is there. But they don't go beyond that. It doesn't cover the bakers, the florists, the 303 creative that ADF is litigating the Supreme Court, which is uh, wedding websites. Those are not protected at all by this bill, and that's where all the action is. It's not about solemnization. It's about the ancillary celebration participation in it. And that's not addressed at all. And they knew it. So it's a fake gift, right? You don't give something that's already protected. Does the bill recognize polygamous or polyamorous marriage? They took some steps to fix that and said that it was for relationships limited to two individuals. Now, there is still a loophole that they could have fixed if they really wanted to address it completely. Say, for example, that people must recognize contracts by two persons. Well, what if you have a contract, me with you and me with another person? Those are contracts between two persons. Doesn't mean it's exclusive to one group, one unit. And they could have easily said it has to be exclusive, but they didn't. So they said it has to be between two persons, but what if they're two persons serially? They didn't address that problem. I hope it doesn't come up, but we saw in Massachusetts, they're already recognizing throuples, three-person unions. The city of Cambridge already recognized a domestic partnership with three persons. This is not a theoretical thing. And if they were creative enough to say that we're two separate households, two serial two-person unions, it could become an issue. Now, it used to be that same-sex marriage was not an issue until it was. And people say, well, polygamy is not an issue now. Yes, until it is. And that's the thing. And if they really wanted to address it, just take care of the loopholes. Same thing with religious liberty. If they say they wanted to address religious liberty, do the First Amendment Defense Act that Senator Lee had. That's a real categorical defense, but they refuse to do it. And that tells you all you need to do about their seriousness about this issue. You say that the Respect for Marriage Act would supercharge activists and government attacks on religious liberty. How would that happen? Well, with the activists, it's the private right of action, right? It says that activists can sue if they feel they've been harmed on the question of marriage by anybody acting under color of state law, which we talked about, right? So it's an open invitation to litigate those groups of faith that have ties with government and partner with government on these questions. When you create an ability to sue, we would expect people to sue, right? That doesn't take a huge leap of faith to make that connection. With government, that's the national policy that elevates same-sex marriage to the same status as interracial marriage, and those who disagree are in the same boat. And once you establish that sort of national policy, it empowers groups like the IRS to say, you know what, religious organizations that disagree on marriage, we don't think you're a charity anymore, right? We saw that happen on the question of race, which is, of course, horrendous and different, but they're trying to equate that with same-sex marriage and people who believe in the biblical standard of marriage. And that's where we're going to see the movement, as Beto O'Rourke has said time and again, to take away the tax-exempt status of religious organizations, adoption agencies, religious schools. That's where the fight can move after this. 
You mentioned earlier that Barack Obama, uh, Joe Biden, all held a different view of same-sex marriage and then really very quickly, in their words, evolved on the subject. And after Obergefell, it seems to have been kind of all hands on deck. Why has it moved so quickly and why has this become such a priority for what is essentially now a lame duck Congress? Well, they did it as lame duck because as on their way out the door after they lost an election, they're trying to jam in whatever they can, and they're trying to do this with a budget and with an omnibus, which all should be opposed as, as horrendous policy, right? So when the people have spoken, they're ignoring the will of the people on this question now, and come January, this would not have happened. Uh, but this is generally the left's long-term game plan. Every opportunity they get to try to open up old wounds on things like marriage to just try to score political points, right? Because again, there was no threat to same-sex couples and the benefits they have now. None. But they push this and push it and push this because they want to drive the opposition into dust. But we're not going away. And here's one encouraging thing. Kristen Sinema, who's a, a big proponent of it, she today in political was quoted as saying that she hadn't faced a more focused and robust effort against any other bill in the last two years. So the marriage movement, the religious liberty movement, rose up, organized, mobilized, and we put in a great fight. We got 48 votes supporting Senator Lee's First Amendment Defense Act amendment. And that's 48 votes. If a couple things happen, come you know next election cycle, and we have a president that signs on, including any, President Trump said he would sign the First Amendment Defense Act, and DeSantis, as a member of Congress, endorsed it as a co-sponsor, you get a couple more senators and the right president, we're back in business on these questions of religious freedom. 48 votes, that got a lot of attention in support of First Amendment principles. So that's the one encouraging thing which should not be discounted out of all of this. Roger Severino is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He formerly served as director of the Office for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and he's a graduate of Harvard Law. You'll find a link to the Ethics and Public Policy Center at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Roger, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. When we come back, Terry Mattingly is going to be alongside. We're going to be talking with him about an enormous story in ProPublica on the hospice industry. He says the big missing element that should have been included, a religion angle. We'll find out more next. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. 
Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life, lutheransforlife.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at OutdoorNativityStore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities. OutdoorNativityStore.com. OutdoorNativityStore.com.